0: Welcome to the Piano Movie Podcast. My name is Mia, and as a lifelong lover of the piano, I've always been curious about the magic behind a piano scene in a movie. Whether it's in a heartbreaking romance or an entertaining comedy, the piano moves us to emotional depths we never thought possible. Join me on my journey as I dive into the musical background of my favorite piano movies, and together we'll discover the power of live music in film. Today we're going to be talking about the 1996 film Shine, directed by Scott Hicks, written by Jan Sardi, starring Jeffrey Rush, Lynn Redgrave, Armin Mueller-Stahl, and Noah Taylor, among others. If you haven't seen this movie already, I highly recommend that you do because it's much better if you just experience it first. Shine is a biopic about the real-life Australian pianist David Halfgott, and it follows his life through three stages, starting with his early childhood as a musical prodigy, and then it moves on to his young adulthood, and then finally closes with his older adulthood after suffering a mental breakdown. And I had really been looking forward to talking about this movie because, as I said, it had such a profound effect on me. It was very emotional for me to watch, and I only recently saw it for the first time. But it really is one of those movies that I wish I had seen earlier in my life. And what's crazy is that back when it came out, it got a lot of acknowledgments uh from the academy awards for instance uh jeffrey rush won the best actor oscar and it got a bunch of other awards but i feel like people don't really talk about this movie anymore uh, especially when it comes to classical music movies or just musical movies in general so i'm not really sure why that is because i really feel like it's one of the best biopics I've seen in a while, if not movies in general. It's really excellent, so uh, I'm not sure why people don't really talk about it anymore. But let's just get right into the plot and then in a little bit after that I will talk about the music. So early on in the movie we meet David Helfgott as a very young child living in Adelaide, South Australia, and it's the 1950s. He's very technically proficient at piano, he's like a little genius, and his father Peter had actually been teaching him piano. And we see him perform in a very small local competition where he unfortunately doesn't win, but he draws the attention of some local teachers who really see his potential. And in these scenes from David's early childhood, we get a little background on his father Peter who is a Polish-Jewish immigrant who survived the Holocaust despite his own parents not surviving. And he also had a real passion for music when he was younger in the form of both violin and piano, and we're led to believe that he also had a really strong gift and talent for it because he once played Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto, and this piece of music is basically the cornerstone and the heart of the movie. So don't forget it because I promise we're going to talk about it later. And with this piece, we really come to understand the importance of music in David's childhood and his overall his household and his family. And we understand why his father is so passionate about David uh, excelling and being, being successful in his musical endeavors. So now we move on to David's young adulthood, where he's played by Noah Taylor, and I would say this is the bulk of the movie, is uh, the scenes where David is maybe a teenager up until maybe his mid-20s. And during this time, David still continues to have this dream of being able to play the Rachmaninoff Third Concerto someday, because as I said, it's the piece that his father held so dear, and had his father basically told him that if you are able to play this piece then you would make me proud and you would be really uh that would be a crowning achievement but at the same time there's this understanding that he might not be ready to handle the piece yet because it is so difficult and requires so much and we'll talk later about what makes it so difficult but Throughout this time, it's still just in the back of his mind, and he knows that he will want to handle it someday, but maybe he's not ready just yet. So, over that time, David really does continue to grow and improve with his music, and I think a lot of that is driven by his really strong bond with his father, which was formed in his childhood, and we saw a lot of those scenes in the first third of the movie. But at the same time, his father starts physically and emotionally abusing him because as David's success really grows and as he plays more and more concerts for different local events, there's this really growing possibility that he would leave home to pursue his music and his father Peter is really afraid that if David leaves then that would tear the whole family apart. And because we know a little bit about Peter's background We also, just as viewers, we realize that this fear is a remnant of what had happened in his own childhood when he lost his family in a concentration camp. So it's understandable why he's so protective over his family, because he just doesn't want that to happen again. He doesn't want to lose them but the way he goes about it, I mean, I don't even know if he really understands why he's reacting this way. So it's really heartbreaking to watch. And I think that difficult relationship with his father, at least in the movie, that's really what spurs a lot of the uh, heartbreak and emotion in this film. I don't know how much of it is rooted in reality, but I think for the movie, it works as a really good method of getting the viewer to feel really sympathetic, for David especially. So, nevertheless, David goes to the Royal College of Music in London on a scholarship, and of course this was completely against his father's wishes, and this is when their relationship really gets damaged to the point where they didn't even talk to each other for years. And at the same time, this is where the big turning point in the movie comes when David enters a concerto competition while studying with his professor, Dr. Parks, in London. And this is super important because the concerto that he chooses to play is Rock 3, Rachmaninoff's third piano concerto, which I brought up earlier as this piece that his father loved so much. So in a way if David can successfully play this piece then it would make his father proud even if his relationship with his father is severed and if his father really isn't there to hear it still in his mind it would connect him back to his father and that bond that they had over music. So this whole process of him studying this piece and learning it, practicing it, this is for me I think one of my favorite parts of the movie where it I got chills at a lot of different points in this uh, this little section of the film where we're basically just watching him work really hard and just get into the zone of preparing for the competition and it's really really inspiring to see him muster up all this strength and passion that you need to play the piece and there's a great montage where he's in a lesson with his professor, David, uh, with his professor, Dr. Parks, and it's very intense, but really inspiring. And you can see that Dr. Parks knows exactly what is needed to make this piece a sensational, uh, sensational performance. But at the same time, this is where David starts to go into a somewhat manic state I don't really want to put my finger on exactly when it started happening, but at least for us viewers, you can tell that he's going into a little bit of a zone that might not be very well for him mentally. And just knowing about what's going to happen later, it really feels like he is possibly driving himself to a level of madness that is not healthy. And there is a between David and Dr. Parks, I think at a similar lesson between the two of them. And Dr. Parks says, you have to be mad to want to play this piece. And David says, am I mad enough? And I think that perfectly sets up what the rest of the film is going to be like. And I also really appreciate the movie doing a really good job at communicating how difficult Rock 3 is to play, especially for people who maybe had never heard the piece before or heard of it at all. And I think with little scenes like that, it especially also the scenes in the lesson when you actually see him playing and see dr. Parks just continuing to push him and bring out all the emotion in him you are able to understand how monumental this piece is and how difficult it is whatever difficult means which we'll talk about later but I really like how they uh, they make you immediately understand what the aura of this whole piece is and why it's such a achievement for people who are able to master it. So speaking of which, when he finally plays at the competition, David is extremely successful and his performance is really moving for the audience. Little does he know that his father is listening to it live on the radio all the way back home in Australia, which is such a moving scene. I mean, that whole sequence again of his performance and then it cutting to his father listening all the way in Australia is just, that is a scene that you can never forget. So David ends up winning, but before he can even be awarded his prize, he collapses on stage. And the rest of the film after this point focuses on the older David, who's played by Jeffrey Rush and now it's been many years after his mental breakdown. And despite him babbling a lot and having difficulty properly caring for himself, he still has this really innate spirit and joy about him, which made me feel very hopeful for him. Seeing him go through various psychiatric institutions and he went through electroshock therapy, which looked horrible, But there's still this joy about him, and he has this uh, spirit that seems like it never really went away. There are really, really wonderful people surrounding him as well. A lot of wonderful women in his life, uh, even from when he was a teenager. And there's once he got out of the institutions, there was... um, two women in particular who really cared for him and who saw his talent for music and who understood that he needed to continue playing music in order to feel like himself again, which is actually something that his doctors had advised against, which I thought was very strange. But yeah, they were the ones who said he needs to play again because otherwise he's just not himself. One of those women is named Jillian and at the end of the film he ends up proposing to her and she's played by Lynn Redgrave and they spend lots of happy times together and at the end of the film David gives a comeback concert which was really moving for me to watch because just of how well received it was after everything he'd been through and I definitely skipped over a lot of things a lot of important scenes that I wish I could really talk about but I think at the same time I feel like some things are better left unexplained and just experienced so if you're if if you've made it this far please just watch watch the movie why are you still here? And the comeback concert is very interesting as well, because at the end of the concert, he is just completely overtaken with happiness and emotion. It's a really beautiful scene. And in an interesting way, which many critics have pointed out, as I was saying how after this film came out, uh, it brought a lot of attention, not only to the film, but also to the real life David, who thanks to all this rekindled fame, he was able to give professional concerts again in a very similar way to the fictionalized David in the movie and how he gave his comeback concert so I think that's very cool how the movie kind of predicted what was going to happen to David and how the real life David was able to give performances again and he even performed at the Oscars at the awards ceremony so yeah there is so much that I left out in this summary and as I said There were some scenes that were really emotional for me to watch, and I definitely don't want to talk about them because I feel like that would just ruin the experience. So just watch it. And I hope you enjoy it because I really, really did. So with all that said, and now that we know the plot and a little bit of context for the movie, let's talk about the music. A little fun fact is that Jeffrey Rush served as his own hand double in the movie so he had studied piano as a child but then resumed lessons in preparation for the role so that was really cool to read and i think we can all agree that the most memorable piece of music from the movie shine is the third piano concerto by Sergei Rachmaninoff, also called rock three like how i'd been saying a little bit earlier and how david's teacher dr parks also says in the movie but a little bit of background on Rachmaninoff is that he was a Russian-American composer who lived from 1873 to 1943. And he was particularly known for his very expressive music and especially his unforgettable melodies. He was also known for having very big hands and he could reach very far on the keyboard. and People who learn his music can also tell that he had big hands just in the way that he uh, requires the performer to reach certain lengths or to play chords with a lot of notes in them and that reach very far. You can also hear many recordings of Rachmaninoff playing his own music because he didn't live that long ago and these recordings are real gems. They have so much artistry in them and technically they are very, they're just impeccable. He was a very, very talented pianist and This isn't a very unique take. He was very well-received and well-known at the time. He studied at the Moscow Conservatory, and when he was there he was known as the best student out of all of them. So he's very, very accomplished. And let's talk a little bit about the concerto form because Maybe you don't know, and I think it's worth just going over because I don't want to talk about a concerto without you all knowing what a concerto is. I think the easiest way of explaining it is you have a soloist, so in this case the pianist, and then they are backed by an orchestra. So it's this conversation or this kind of communal experience where both the soloist and the orchestra are playing together and the soloist will have their moments to shine and similarly the orchestra will have their moments to really come through and i think the general reputation of a concerto is that they are very big and monumental works for a performer to learn and they're very commonly performed because i think people like seeing a soloist perform with an orchestra. It just has this very full sound, and it's also cool to see uh, the soloist really show off their technique and their musicality. And so I think that's why the concerto form works really well in this movie as well, because you're able to focus on the soloist, David, but then it feels like this super high stakes thing because you have the whole orchestra as well. And regarding Rachmaninoff's concertos, although he composed four piano concertos in total, The second is by far the most famous within the classical music world and also the greater public. It's been used in countless films. It's been repurposed in the song All By Myself, for example. It has a lot of really memorable melodies and it is very emotional and very moving. Another really interesting fact about the second piano concerto and just Rachmaninoff in general is that he was depressed during a period of his life when he one of his pieces had premiered and it wasn't well received so he went into this period of depression where he basically lost all his passion for composing and playing music and around the year 1900 when Sigmund Freud had just Developed the field of psychoanalysis and all of this therapy and hypnosis and all of this was uh, a very new topic and coming to fruition around this time, Rachmaninoff decided to get help from a therapist. And after his treatments, he was so thankful and they really worked for him and he felt so much better so much so that he dedicated his second piano concerto to his therapist, Dr. Dahl. I had heard this fact before, but I especially wanted to bring it up in this episode because this story of being in a mentally unwell or unstable place and then finding peace again, finding inspiration again, that's something that is very clearly mirrored in this movie shine whether it was intentionally done or not I'm not sure but I really like how we're able to see some examples of artists who went through difficult times mentally and who were able to get out of it and find some form of peace and joy again. Now the third piano concerto, which is the focus of this film, It has a very different reputation especially among classical musicians and i really believe that the movie shine played a big part in shaping that reputation and that is not my original thought i think a lot of critics have been saying this uh, especially more musical adjacent critics so a little bit about this concerto it was composed in 1909 And what's really interesting about Rachmaninoff in general, and I think one of the most important facts about his musical style, is that he was living around the turn of the 20th century, as I was saying. And even though his pieces were composed during that time, in a fairly modern time, they share a very similar musical style to uh, composers from the previous century so people like Chopin who I talked about in the previous episode and who else uh Tchaikovsky much more romantic styles and it was very very different from what some other composers were doing around this time who were Uh, composing much more modern, uh, more contemporary styles of pieces. So I think maybe that's one of the reasons why Rachmaninoff's music has really stood the test of time and people still love his, still connect to his music even today because how it's rooted in having raw emotion and having these melodies that stick in your head. Those are things that more modern and quote-unquote contemporary composers didn't really focus on as much. And by the time Shine came out in 1996, Rachmaninoff's third concerto was already very well known in the classical music world, thanks to iconic performances by the pianist Vladimir Horowitz, which definitely go ahead and listen to that. But Shine is really what brought the piece to a larger audience in the movie theater who may not have been aware of the piece before. So it all made the piece even more famous now just among a larger group of people who maybe were not initially part of the classical music scene. But interestingly, some people argue that the film gave the piece a negative connotation as being impossibly difficult with all this talk in the movie about how you would have to be crazy to try to attempt this piece or just constantly doubting whether you're ready to attempt it, which is some th- just some examples of things that we see in the film. The question of whether Rock 3 is actually that difficult to play is pretty hard to answer, I guess until you attempt it yourself, but even just from listening to it, you can tell that it requires a lot of superhuman technical feats and really deep emotions from the performer, which honestly is not uncommon for Rachmaninoff's music. I discovered a lot of pianists and critics saying that the piece is not that much more difficult than any of his other piano concertos, for instance, and I think just in general his pieces require a lot of deep emotions while at the same time building up the intensity of just the technical difficulty as well. I think that's very common for him. So maybe that means that the movie had a really large impact on how people viewed this piece so on that topic actually i wanted to talk about some of my favorite aspects of this concerto and some important things that you can listen for because i know that it's quite a long piece and especially if you've never really listened to a concerto before and you never sat down and tried to listen to the whole thing it can feel really daunting and there's a lot going on, so I totally understand how that might be difficult to know where to jump in. So that's why I wanted to just highlight a few of my favorite parts of this concerto and tell you why they're so important and what you can listen for when you hear them. The first theme is the theme that you hear in the opening of the concerto. And I'm sure you'll recognize this from the movie as well. This piece is constantly moving forward and it has this energy about it and you can really feel that even in this very mysterious uh, opening. I don't usually like to tell people what they should be imagining when they hear a piece, but for me I've always imagined the orchestral introduction as a train moving through a landscape, maybe it's snowy. There's always this element of coldness to Rachmaninoff's music. Then once the piano comes in with its melody, to me it's like the listener has hopped onto that train and just goes on a journey for the rest of the piece. And I think it's fun to try to imagine what the music represents, so just take a listen and let me know what you imagine and in this recording i'm playing both the orchestral part and the piano part on the piano. theme all throughout the rest of the movement. And regarding the theme itself, as you heard, it's very simple, it's very singable, which makes it really easy to remember, and those are the qualities of the kinds of melodies I was talking about earlier that Rachmaninoff is so well known for. Some scholars actually say that Rachmaninoff based this theme off of a Russian Orthodox chant or some people say it's from a Russian folk melody, which I think he gets a lot of his inspiration from those sources of folk melodies especially, and you'll hear that in a whole bunch of his other pieces as well. Now moving away from that first theme, I want to talk about the second theme, which for me personally is the most beautiful melody in this concerto. I really don't have much to say about it musically, other than this kind of romantic and melancholy melody. It is such a signature Rachmaninoff thing to do, and for me, it feels like this oasis or a shining jewel in the middle of a storm of very fast notes, complexity, and tension that we hear throughout the rest of the piece. So why don't we take a listen to that? If you want an even deeper analysis on Rock 3 and how to perform it, how to practice it, there's a great video on YouTube that I found that features the pianist Garrick Olson, and I'll link it in the description. It's really fascinating to hear how he masters the technique of actually playing this music because I know we talked about what the music represents, how it makes you feel, but actually playing it is a completely different experience and it's really cool to watch the video and see maybe try to get into the mindset of what it would be like to actually tackle it and then maybe you can try it for yourself and if you're really interested in hearing more about Rachmaninoff's life there's a wonderful documentary that i watched it's only an hour long it's called the joy of Rachmaninoff and it's also on youtube i'll link it It gives so much color to his personality, the world that he lived in, how it influenced his music. As I said earlier, he was Russian-American, so he spent a lot of his time in the States as well as in Russia. And he lived in New York. He lived in California. He had a very interesting and full life. And that video just completely changed the way I thought about him. It gave me so much more context on who he was and I would love for you to go and watch that. I definitely took some little facts from that documentary and, and talked about it today, but if you want to go deeper, then definitely check that out. So overall, if you watched Shine and you were left feeling totally inspired and completely moved by Rachmaninoff's third concerto, then I hope this episode gave you a little more context for it. I hope it taught you a little something more about this monumental and just completely unforgettable piece of music. Thanks so much, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye! Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Piano Movie Podcast. If you enjoyed it, please leave me a rating on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to hit follow as well so you don't miss any of my future episodes. You can also reach me at thepianomoviepodcast at gmail.com. All musical segments are performed by me as well as the writing, editing, and producing. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did making it and have a great two weeks and talk to you soon.